Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where I speak to bands and artists about their old side hustles, their cash cows, jobs they've worked before being in their group, between tours and between making records. And on today's episode, Sean Yeaton, bassist of New York band Parquet Courts. Their latest album, Sympathy for Life, came out at the end of last year. And at the start of June, in a couple of weeks, they'll be on tour in the UK. Brighton on the 8th of June at Chalk, London on the 9th of June at Brixton Academy, 12th of June, Manchester, Albert Hall, and the 16th in Birmingham at the O2 Institute. A bit of a pre-warning, there's no real preamble or on-ramp to this episode, just an unabated, steamrolling Sean Yeaton, as if he's had about five coffees and he hasn't seen anyone in five days. So hold on to the seat of your pants, feel free to press pause if you need a break. 
This episode is supported by 2000 Trees Festival, taking place from the 6th to the 9th of July in Cheltenham, just a few hours away from London. Idols, Jimmy Eat World, Thrice and Turnstile are all headlining. It's one of the biggest independent rock festivals in the UK. It's even won some awards from it. And if you'd like to go, as in you want to go but you haven't got your ticket yet, you can get 10% off your ticket by using the voucher code 101pod at checkout. The website is 2000treesfestival.co.uk and if you use the promo code 101POD like the early noughties new metal band you can get 10% off. I think it works out to be about 20 quid off which isn't bad. So many great bands playing. Mannequin Pussy, Me Rex, Island of Love, Angel Dust and every day this week they're announcing a new band. Today's was St Agnes. Go and follow 2000trees and if you want to get your ticket with some cheeky cash off 101 pod is the promo code to use cheers for listening to 101 part-time jobs this is sean yeaton of parquet courts go well cheers we forgot what this podcast was about for a second but it's weird because i was just about to mention one of the craziest fucking jobs I've ever had in my entire life, like out of context, but in context. But I used to work for a moving company and I there was like, one of the like things people would do a lot was um, get rid of pianos like for free. I give, just be like, we're moving and we're not gonna bring the piano because it's ridiculous. Uh, so you can have the piano, but you just have to pay to have it moved, mm. which is like nothing, per se- like, you know, it costs like, depending on how far you know this piano was pretty close to our house so it ended up being i don't even know like a couple hundred dollars it makes no yeah. sense you know yeah and uh it got moved and i remember going to like see the piano at the person's house that it was at where it's like the woman was like my children have left the home you know the piano was a centerpiece of a family maria learned how to play eine kleine knock music or whatever like robert with his furlies there are fugues and fucking whatever. I was like, oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Like, that's what we want for our kids. So she's like, and you play? I was like, oh, yeah. I play the shit out of this fucking thing. And like, she was like, would you for me? And I'm just like, okay. And so I just like go over to it. And I'm like. And it turns out if you just play the black keys, you can make it sound really nice. You know what I'm talking about? I can just do one of these. Check it out. Now I'm an artist, ready? Except for that like, weird one. That's because my kids like jam crap into it, you know? They have no respect. And um, one day we'll get it like tuned up or something, but for now it's basically a decoration that I write like scary crap on. Getting it tuned up is quite expensive, isn't it? That's like a whole yeah. thing. And see, you know what? I try to do it myself, but then I remember that movie. I think it was like, uh, I don't know, some horror movie, like House on Haunted Hill or something. And um, part of it is like a person is going to tune the piano and one of the strings breaks and flips their eyeball out of their head and they die. And I still think about it when I'm like tuning my bass because I'm like, which one would kill me the fastest? You'd think the G, but like, honestly, I think it could be the E. Isn't it funny you get those sort of like the, those brain rides and, and, and it might it, it's the smallest thing. It may be something you overheard someone say on the train. And years later, you can't, it kind of, because it's such a specific niche thing. I mean, how long have you, yeah. th- when, when did you, how long have you had that with your, you know, the fear of the bass string 
flying into your face? Well, I used to play guitar, I'll tell you what. So the thing is, I came into this earth a guitar player by trade. And uh, I only started playing bass in this parquet chords thing. And so I used to play in a band, not, uh, you know, we were like a post-hardcore band. We made songs and like weird dancing shit and shit. But like, we didn't know how, like what that was. So we'd write riffs based on like our phone numbers and crap. And like, you know, mathy shit like that. And I loved it. I would always be wailing around playing all fast. On your phone and numbers? I'd, like as in yeah, like, be like, you know, like one part would be would happen nine times, then another part would happen seven times, and you know what I mean. So it'd be like weird, like that's I'll ridiculous. Send you a it's great, very already very young, <laughs> but like <laughs> we were great. But um, I played guitar in that band, but for the most part, I was like just a show off because you know, like I was younger, I was thinner, I um would do stuff where like the guitar would fly around. I was a lot of feedback. So I think we even had a song where part one of the parts was at the strings break. It was great stuff like that and um that was much more like frightening to me because like I, even if i'm like changing a guitar string at the house i still like am so absent-minded about it that like you know like the sh- whatever parts of it will drop on the rug and i'm like oh fuck. the sharpest like sketchiest one is down there and it's like invisible now and like somebody's gonna step on it and it's like gonna be me for sure and so, like, those were scarier to me. A bass string, I've only broken them a couple of times, and usually they just slap right against the stupid mm. instruments. Do you have any bad dreams? Dreams where you're playing your guitar and, and there's no strings? Man, for a while, I was having this recurring dream that was like, I think I've even had it recently, where we get up to play, and I look at the set list, and I have no fucking idea what any of I don't know how to play any of the songs. And so, like, I mean, well, you know, there's... It's, Whenever we started playing shows again after the like pandemic, it was so weird because I still have such a difficult time. I like think of myself as a very sociable person. Like I love people. I love hanging out with people, meeting new people. I'm loving what we have going on right now. But like in a way, I also live in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm out here by myself. I was just like making small talk with like an exterminator because there was nobody else out here. I was just like, whoa, what are like ants like? Do you love ants? You know? He's like, there's a problem with the ants at your house. And I was like, I don't know. We're kind of like in their house. Don't you think? Um, but what I'm getting at here is that like, I've really gotten great at my like shtick that I've got going on to nobody in the middle of the woods. Like sometimes like the girls at the dream house will show up, but like nobody really comes here. And so like when real people are like in the room at the same time as me and I can't like, reference wikipedia like in the blink of an eye for something it becomes like very difficult and i find that like um i honestly have no idea what question you even asked that got me on this tangent because where i'm at right now what, what were you talking about i think it, it came from pianos right and then they're great yeah strings dreams I asked you about oh, dreams. dreams right yes yeah. so like i would go up and be like i'd have the set list in front of me or there'd be like a you know a song this does happen in real life i've tried to get i try to practice like every day like i have this book andrew got me this book bass aerobics look at that <laughs> you can see like the skeleton hand hell yeah like i think i've gotten super serious about playing bass like truly like to the point where i like thinking about offering a master class for a very very like discounted price you know very good stuff but like i want or like i'm taking these joe lally lessons like i want to be good at it but I still have had the dream or the real life scenario happen where there's a song on the set list that I'm like, oh yeah, I can do that bastard with my eyes closed. And then like, I forget that there's like a B part. I'm like, oh shit, this song has like another part. I don't remember how to play that part. 
And it's just so much fun seeing what happens, like where the finger goes. Yeah. It's not often right. How did you find out about Joe Lally giving lessons? He ha- I followed him on Instagram and he just started posting about it during the during COVID one or whatever. And I was like interested in it, but I was kind of like, you know, I didn't really know what it meant. Like I, I knew I like I've been wanting to take like a proper like lesson to learn about music for a while, but I never really figured that it would make the most sense to try to do the instrument that I fucking play or whatever. Mm. I was like, oh, maybe I'll learn how to play like a zither or some shit that I don't have. And like, I don't know, it just like kind of clicked with me. I was talking to, you know what, my friend, Sean, not me, but a different guy with the same name. He's like one of the best drummers in the world. He plays in that band Pissed Jeans, you know, Pissed Jeans. Yeah, yeah. I've got a few friends who love them and will incessantly put them on when it's that kind of 3 a.m. Yes. I was just, yeah. So Sean's like my best friend out here. He's also lives out there somewhere in the void, but like still somehow an hour away. We hang out a lot. He's like such a good drummer. No offense, Max. Different thing though, you know, it's a different Max. And so like, he's incredible. And he started taking drum lessons with Greg Fox. And I was like, oh shit. I mean, okay. Cause like in my mind, I'm like, why would you need to take drum lessons? Like you're like so good Mm. at drums. Like I can't even believe you can do what you can do. And then I was like, oh, well, Greg Fox is kind of like that too. So now you get, you just are kind of like sucking up his abilities, like in the new Kirby game. Well, you know, I wonder, and like not in some kind of like vain attempt to bring this back into the conversation of this podcast. It makes me think that discipline that musicians have, you know, you don't go into playing music and then everyone immediately takes you seriously. Definitely not in the world of DIY, whatever you want to call it, punk, indie, rock music. You know, it takes, in my experience, you know, you you know, people, I know people who've been doing it a decade and a lot of people around them in their life don't really take them seriously. It's it's funny. It's this weird, like cultural kind of like voyeur thing that was being given to us through like the rock media, the rock press. And it's It's messed up. Like I have friends who have music that is so fucking good, but it will just never be released like ever. Like I've even been like, I've thought to myself, I don't know. It's not, it's weird because it does have something to do with, there is like a, a kind of like um, jump thing that has to be taken. Like I know, like you know, some of the most brilliant musicians I know and I'm friends with, who all like have, you know, I'm always like send me like stems for like some whatever you're working on. Like it's always like it's inspirational. Like listening to so many of my friends' music that just has no, like there's no, it's not tied up in like the music industry cycle, you know, like it's not part of a like get to the pressing plant before Jack White does kind of like, it's not even a, it's not, it has nothing to do with anything. It's literally just the person's pure thing. And I mean, I've had that. It's the, that is awesome. In fact, like what's so crazy is like getting into music as a job is so crazy for me because I've always thought of jobs are supposed to be something you don't like, you know, like Mm. my, you know, everybody even says it in a way that sucks like so much as like a kid to have your parents be like, well, you better find something you like and like love it whenever you can, because like work sucks and like you have to do it. And I'm like, why is that life though? Like, I don't want to just like go from being a kid who plays with toys to being like a person who's pissed off all the time because of like, they need money or something. I get, mm-hmm. I, I, 
it's just not a cool thing to say to your kids. And I try not to, I never say, I mean, my kids get to see my life, which is cool, but like there it's normal for them, which is scary. Cause I can't even, I mean, whatever, but like, it's, I feel so grateful that I'm able to be in a situation where I can literally be like, look, like, I'm not, we're not like rich people. This job is as good a job as I've had money wise, but it's the best job I've ever had in my life because it's like the thing I actually wanted to do. I think I wrote it down like in a journal when I was eight, you know what I mean? And like the thing that's crazy about that is that you need to like want to do that. Like there's a, you know, some of these people, friends of mine who write masterpieces of music with like, it's just mind boggling to me. People who I'd go to for advice on like how to move a song from one part to the next. Like it's almost like a Brian Wilson kind of thing. Like having the like, ability ambition and like patience to like craft something that's like you know i that is beautiful and perfect to somebody um but not have the like other thing that is um willing to like allow it to be like ripped apart by everybody else on the planet and then like sort of turned into a new thing because as soon as like a song is done and the world has it or whatever it's like i think automatically becomes a different thing than it was when you were writing it. You know what I mean? And I think that scares like a lot of people, which is fine. It just sucks because there's probably so many records that we'll never hear because of it. You know? Absolutely. And those are. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com uh, When you mentioned Brian Wilson, it just made me think that, um, you know, when you think of Brian Wilson writing a record, you don't think about him doing a bunch of these distraction items like doing other work or like having to right. do emails or, or admin. I've worked uh, every job for, for the most part that I've worked, you know, uh, up until I, I initially moved to New York. When I moved to New York, I had like a media industry job because I thought that's what I want. I thought I wanted to be like a writer. Um, and I did, I was th that for a while. I was really interested in, you know, having that be kind of like be the next chapter for me. Right. Cause I played in, a hardcore band through from when I basically had been on tour since I was like 17 in a band that was completely, we did it all on our own. We literally booked, we went on tour in Europe, the U S Canada, Australia. So I sort of, when I was done with college and whatever, moving to New York, I had really good opportunity through like a friend to have like an internship at like spin magazine. And then I had like a, I worked at like vice and did a lot of cool shit at that place. And then, um, I just had sort of thought the music part of my journey was like no longer a 
a thing. Like it felt more to me like, oh, cool. This will just be like my thing. I kind of like noodle around on a guitar. Like when I'm like taking an, I don't know, a reflective break at the end of the day, thinking about how shitty everything is. Or whatever. And um, right. that's just, I was like fine with that kind of. And then like once ever Andrew moved to New York, I met him whenever our bands were like my old band, Daniel Stripe Tiger, the hardcore post hardcore band. We played a show in Andrew's living room in Denton, Texas with his old band. And then we ended up doing a like split record together. And Andrew and I just kept in touch. And he was like, hey, I'm moving to New York. Like, want to hang out? And I was like, yes, we can drink caffeinated like liquor and do stupid shit all the time. And um, he was like, cool. And so we started hanging out. And he's like, I think you should play bass in this band. And I was like, that instrument's for dumbasses. Like, uh, like, what even is it? And so it was just funny because like, it was just an extracurricular activity that was like happening on Wednesday nights, like literally down, not even a full block away from where I worked. And it was like, all of a sudden, like we would play, it was just such an interesting band because it was like really so different than like anything I'd ever been involved in. Like I've always been used to, yeah, these like playing and writing songs with like this very specific intention, you know, like, writing guitar parts that were based on like phone numbers or like, you know, using sample, like field recording samples. Like I wanted to be like arty, but like, you know, hard and weird shit like that. Mm. And um, then being in a band where it was kind of like, Hey, we should like smoke weed and uh, just see what happens. I was like, okay. And that was just so crazy. I still think about how it felt to like unlearn how to play, like unlearning how I played guitar or whatever like i can't even really do it anymore like i it's when i listen to even the my old band that i play guitar and i'm always just i'll be like holy shit like i have no idea how i even did that because now when i'm playing i'm like in the mindset of like trying to fit into like a pocket or something like that you know what i'm saying yeah but um you're a bass player i'm a bass player now I, and i really am goddamn proud of it it's just one of those things where it's like i know that it's like um you know, I think that there was an initial kind of hesitation from me because I, whenever, not that like I cared even that much. It was basically just like, it, it honestly made it like more fun to be in a band that I hadn't like, that I felt like I, there was no pressure to like be good at what I was doing. Like, but I didn't necessarily expect it to turn into what it is now. Like, mm. you know, for a while, there were probably a couple of years where my like bass playing was just basically like open notes like i think i it could have just been so i could have done anything really bass playing really is what you're dancing to it's the it is so is it's like like everything about what the bass how it functions is kind of like a it is like the sort of like the blood that flows through the like arteries of a band in a way or even more so it is like what is controlling the speed that the blood is traveling at. and it's like that's an interesting. So way. crazy to me. They're like, because there are bass lines that I listen to where I'm just like, you know, one record that I like have always or have been obsessed with, definitely for all of Parquet Courts, and I still reference it when I'm like writing bass lines now. Is that um, David Byrne, Brian Eno record in the Bush of Ghosts or whatever? You know, what I'm talking. I about? don't know that one. Dude, well, there's this one song on there called Regiment. I think it's the fifth track, and it is so sick. The baseline is is crazy and amazing, but it's like impossibly 
I, like I would study it, like honest to God, I would just be like, what the fuck is happening? Like, what is it? Is it like really difficult or really easy? And it turned out that it's two bass lines happening at the same time, which had never even occurred to me as a thing. I'm like, it's like all, it, it's just funny because to me on a certain level, the bass is the most stable thing in my life, including my own mind. Like I've always thought of it as this instrument that is sort of like, um, I don't know, incarcerated by not being able, like it's like sort of like the warden of a prison. Like it, it's like, it is still in jail all the time, like the prisoners, but like it is able to like freely grow or something. But it's just as like trapped, like there's not room for error and all that. Like it, and I will say it does feel, crazier to fuck up a bass line than a guitar part because you can turn guitar mess ups into like bitching things like some of the best guitar parts are like fuck ups you know mm -hmm. and um so there is that kind of pressure like that but then when you're listening to like Fela and shit and you're just like what is happening like how are they doing it or like with like carol k for a while like when i was working uh when we were doing this new record i kept asking people for I wanted to take a, like a bass lesson from a, you know a bass player I admired like for it was an idea that never came to fruition but I was like I just want to like learn how did like Carol like what is how does Carol K do the like you know 64th note like turnaround thing like how like I don't need to like I just want to see her I want her to teach me how to do like a thing that is bitching or I want like you know um the like what like uh, a flowers guy that plays with uh or play with like Serge Gainsbourg like how do you do like just show me like how you make two notes sound like this like stereo like full stereo thing like how do you make it sound like a C to like a D like move in such a way where I can like feel you like smoking a cigarette like I want to know how to do that but I want to do Carol and I also want like Fela and I want like you know talking heads I want like, Tina I want everybody I want everybody to just be like because you know when I watch them playing these parts or you know even some of it's like funny to think that like Brian Eno's like primary instrument is bass and he also though is like wasn't a musician at all and so like at first I guess but like which is cool too wow I'm just really going off on a tangent for you right yeah, now aren't I please but like I guess to me, I think that like the satisfaction of like sitting with a like uh, task, right? Like, so, you know, I think that like the job that I really wanted to talk about having on this podcast was when I first moved to New York just to pay rent. I, I lived in like this like crazy apartment in Williamsburg that was uh, like the basement of a biker gang called the Legion of Doom. And we, it was like a tenement apartment. Like there's no chance in hell that it is like, or ever was legal to live in this place. Like so fucking crazy, no windows. Like you'd never know what the day, what time of day or weather was like, but it was pretty cheap for like all things considered. Like it was horrible. Like it's definitely like stripped years off of my life or whatever, but um, it's what I could afford. And it was working for a moving company that allotted me that. Cause it was just really good money. And it was like through a friend who had graduated in like 2008 from college with like the crazy recession thing. And he couldn't get a job in New York. So he kind of like cheekily opened a moving company called College Educated Movers and like 
everybody just thought that meant like white people, you know, like what it did was it created a scenario where the only people who hired us really were like stuck up rich white people because they're like, well, no, I mean, they're college educated. They may have gone to Yale. It's like me and my brother. Like, yeah, we're just like broke, man. Like I do not know how to carry this shit. And there's not like a, our, like it was so against the law. Basically like him being like, I have no other option. Mm. So I'm going to tell you, like I'm using my college diploma for this is what it is. And it was like, dude, I mean that, that job, the shit I saw, the people I met best way to like everybody. If you move to a new city, the first thing you should do is work for a moving company for like a year. It sounds horrible because it fucking kind of is, but like, cause essentially it was do it was like, groundhog day or something i was always moving and it was like sometimes you'd get you just there's no avoiding insane interactions and like even the guy that i worked with the way i got the job was because i had like my sort of like partner you know there was like all these teams it was very much like top gun but with people who just like were schlubby like idiots who lived in new york and drove a van instead of like a fighter jet but me and my guy, John Sheena, shout out John Sheena if you're out there. We were kind of, I guess, a Maverick Goose situation. I think I was the Maverick because he has died. He's not dead. I'm just kidding. Sheena's alive. But there's like then other crews, like the other guy that's like Iceman and fucking the, I don't know, what's the other, Skinner or whatever. You know, all the Top Gun like rivalries. We're all out there all day long moving people's shit without any real like understanding of it. You know, like people getting mad because they got something like a ding and we're like, yeah. what did you think this was? And they're like, we thought you were college educated movers. I'm like, what did you, I'm smoking cigarettes while doing this. Do I look <laughs> at all? Like, do I, am I built even like a moving person? Look at me. This is ridiculous. You people. <laughs> and so like, it was just be great. Cause then at the end of the day, there was like a meeting spot where it was like a dispatch, but it was really just this woman's apartment who worked with the owner and it was just our apartment, like in Greenpoint, we'd all the vans would more or less kind of show up around the same time. Everybody would get like a beer and like paid out. And it was like, you could pay your rent after a day of work if you committed to it, you know, it just fucking was crazy. Cause you'd nice. be like, it was painful. You know? What do you mean <laughs> so if you like, committed to it? As in like, if you uh, works like a, like a nine till nine, was it? Was, yeah. So you could like, basically how it would work is like Julia would send out a text like at midnight or something. And it would be kind of like, you know, Maverick, you know, me and Sheena would get like, you kind of like, I have access to like looking at like a, I don't know, I'm picturing like a scene in like a movie where kids are finding out if they like got onto like a sports team and they're like, <laughs> okay. Okay. And then there's one kid that's like, yes, focus. I'm like the pitcher. And the pitcher was like somebody who got to move like an obviously rich person or whatever it's like this person's moving from the fucking middle of west village in a hidden apartment that we have to get into through like a series of codes <laughs> they want us to move like priceless artifacts and fabergé eggs to like a storage unit in new jersey and it's gonna be fifteen hundred dollars for nothing but then you also get stuck with like this person's moving like in the snow and it's like clearly because of a breakup because they need us to pack too and their family's gonna be there and their family's gonna see shit that they don't need to see or want to see and it's going to be awful and it's not going to be that much money because the way that they like factored the money was a little weird. It was like based on flights of stairs and distance traveled, which is like college educated, I guess. I still don't get the math exactly, but like it doesn't necessarily 
always work out. Like one time we got paid the most money probably ever got paid for this job was also one of the scariest ones, which was moving a single futon. We never even met the person, creepy. One futon from a storage unit in like uh, Manhattan to a storage unit in Virginia. So it was all day for the one thing. And all it was was a futon. It was like an old crappy futon. I was like, is this like an art project that somebody's doing on us right now? Like it felt so creepy. And we got it to the storage unit in Virginia. And it was a big, creepy storage unit full of see-through garbage bags of like troll dolls and beanie babies and like clown masks. And we were just like, oh, and you'd hear just like, <laughs> like shit like happening, like something would fall. And we'd be like, we're gonna leave your futon here. And then like there'd be an envelope and like stuff like that. And we're like, but it was the most money because it took us so long to get there and back. And um, anyway, it's just was a crazy job to have because every day, even though it was like different and the characters that you'd like, you know, bump into would be different. They all, there were so many, like, it was such a great way to like learn about New York. Like the mm -hmm. first minute I had that job, Oh, like I was saying, like I got hired because John Sheena, my goose or whatever, he um, he lost, he had his license revoked because he was doing a moving job for the company where he drove the van, the moving van, like I had like off a cliff. Like it was like over, like a, it was a big problem. Like I destroyed the, the thing. I'm shocked. Like I just can't even fucking believe it. And like <laughs> basically he only, he was like still able to do the job because he was best friends with the guy who started it. But like, you could tell there was like, obviously he was bring it up like randomly too. Like I don't, he was kind of like, um, I mean, I love him so much. He actually has taught me so much about music too, but like, we would be driving sort of spaced out and he would be like, the thing about it is like, it really wasn't meant to be like a wall there. Anyway. I'm like, Gina, I don't think you're supposed to have a van in the cloisters. I don't even understand how you got it. there. Like, it's crazy. I'm surprised you're not in jail. And so I got the job because they needed a driver. And the first day I'm on the job, I'm driving in Manhattan and Sheena's like smoking weed or doing whatever. He could do anything. He had the best job sort of for the thing. And, uh, he was like, don't stop. Uh, you have to keep going. And I was like, I can't keep going. There are cars like in front of me. He's like driving on the sidewalk. And I was like, I'm not going to drive on the sidewalk. That's crazy. He's like, the car, and the lights like turned red. And I was in the middle of the intersection, which is like a cop's favorite thing in mm. New York. They're just like, oh, baby, you're parked in the middle of the road, darling. And I'm like, that's not my fault. The cars are all stuck because of the traffic. The city's insane. He's like, well, it's still a $450 ticket. And I'm like, because of gravity or something? What the hell? And he's like, yep. And I was like, no. And, and John Sheena's just like, well, there you go. That's like exactly the best first lesson for you. And I was like, oh, shit. So like the company will cover it. And he's like, no, you're probably going to use all the money you make today to pay up that ticket. And so that sucked. But like, man, the thing about it is like so much of that job, not unlike the with the bass or any instrument really it's like there's a lot of like initial kind of you know you learn so much based on the kind of shit you're not allowed to do right like i learned also that day that you're totally fine is 100 fully legal now okay legal is not the right word it is not frowned upon to drive on the sidewalk in new york if you're in a situation where you have to where you would block the box Another thing, if you drive backwards down a one-way, cancels it out. 
It's like there's just shit that you can do. I'm really glad that I was a kid that got to be part of like the Fort Thundery, fucked up, irreverent punk scenes that I've been able to, you know, like, like, you know, getting to play shows at like 538 Johnson and Bushwick, that craziest like punk venue. I feel like that was like there are two punk houses in this one horrible building in Bushwick, 538 Johnson. Incredible that they would work out this way. Could be a sitcom, honestly. One of the punk houses was like a vegan straight edge punk house where you'd go and there'd be like a quinoa element or a potluck. There'd be like literature about like anti-fascism, all the stuff you're used to seeing, go vegan this, whatnot. You'd play a show. People would usually like talk during part of it and be like, this song is like about like a time that like I saw something that fucking sucked. And like, I just want to know everybody it's going to be okay. Sincere, but like, different and then the, the next one over the punk house next to it holy shit it was fucking crazy it was like all prop moshing psycho like people and like the best they're my best friends like you know like japanese hardcore style bands like brain killer and fucking like you know like nine shocks terror literally you couldn't go you went to that show and you'd be like oh we gotta make sure to bring roman candles because like you shoot roman candles at people at that place Always fireworks going off, fucking crazy. It was like the Shredder's place in the first Ninja Turtles movie. And then you'd have like, and they're just also like, they're just more punk in a like, this, like they, you know, have like bitch in like leather jackets with spikes. They were like, a, like there was a bot. It was a bot. Yeah. And yeah. I appreciate it. I was, I've honestly never felt fully invited into either one. You know, like, <laughs> In a way, it was like Daniel Stripe Tiger was too like, I'm wearing a fucking seersucker shirt for some reason right now. Like, why? I don't know why. I just thought it'd be fun. But like, I love, I'm, I don't know. It's sort of the thing that has gotten me through and in and out of all things, which is I have, I do have an open mind to basically any possibility or scenario. And I think the purest moments come from ones that are like, have a, a willingness to like be, open to anything kind of like a, I don't know, like an oblique strategies for everyday life kind of thing. Like going from like just deciding to start a band based on like what you think a thing sounds like, you know, like some of the best examples of like art and music to me are ones that are like sort of initially misinterpreted, right? Like um, I was obsessed with this like Southeast Asian psych rock compilation that Rough Trade put out years ago. And it's like pop, yeah, yeah, I think it's called. And it's so fucking good and really cool because it uses, there's a lot of like regional sounds, you know, like it's like unavoidable that you'll hear instruments that are like on Western instruments, but being used to do sort of Western-y psych rock sounding shit, kind of like the opposite of George Harrison playing a sitar or something. you've got so many great stories of being a mover i mean when you look back at that period of life do you think that like that sort of sense of identity or you know whatever that kind of stuff that it's hard it's weird to talk about self-worth that confidence in yourself maybe could you like kind yeah. of sum up that for me i look back very fondly at that time period as being sort of i mean really you know i had just graduated college and i you know was lucky enough through college to have help from like my mom, you know, like I didn't have, I had jobs, but like 
having the opportunity to like not be to be completely independent not and like pay back debts i owed and like do it on like it felt really good to have it be something that was also kind of like had a weird i don't know there was something kind of eccentric it was like unique you know it was all every day i had a, like a story it was never like i was working and it's like no offense to anybody any job people need jobs but i think that and i've had a lot of weird jobs other than moving company and like i think that it felt really it felt really good to be able to like participate in like the world without having with like the knowledge that like, oh, I guess everything's going to be okay. Like if, if I, even if all I do is work for a moving company, I'll always be able to live underneath the legion of doom. I'm very, I love to be a compassionate person. I'm here for people. I want to be that person. And like, you never know, like the kind of people you're going to meet. It's like all, all, everybody else also has a weird story of like their weird thing that they do, you know, like, every it's just it's remarkable like you don't realize how many jobs there are until like you're interfacing with all these people because there's not like a i don't know i always i honestly sort of have always weirdly fantasized about working at a gas station because it's like a there's no demographic really so like you see every type of person and like that and i talk to i like have really close relationships with the people at the gas stations near me or whatever i just love talking to them about who goes in there you know like there's no reason why, like people pick a gas station based on like a penny in difference on price for gas. But other than that, it's pretty much like, you're either gonna get like, you could get anything. Honestly, I don't know if you've ever interviewed anybody who works at a gas station, but that to me seems like it'd be a job that would be full of interesting insights. I did, one of my friends who is now a professional musician and nice. worked at a service station, they were robbed, he was robbed. Oh you know, yeah. Fucking there's a robbed. lot of robbings. Oh God, robbings! Oh, I wouldn't like to be robbed. I don't think we. I had my laptop nicked from our flat a few weeks ago, and there was no sign of broken entry. But there's no sign of like entry. But that's actually been cool because now we've forgotten about it. We've, I mean, other than me bringing it up, I actually forget about it. And also now we use oh yes the deadbolt, so it's cool. No one's gonna get in, dude. That's so crazy. You should mention the forgot about it thing. I know we gotta go. I really have to go, but. I have been obsessing over the concept of object permanence lately. Like the idea of like, if you don't like immediately consider a thing that it doesn't exist. Like I don't consider my dishwasher right now. So therefore I have no dishes. But like, anyway, for another time, it's really great hanging out with you, man. Mate, Sean, thank you so much. 101 part-time jobs. It was a blast. Cheers for it. Loved it. Bye. Bye. So there was Sean Yeaton of Parquet Courts. I'll be back in a couple of days with an episode with Campbell Baum from the folk group Broadside Hacks. See you then. Here's Cox Barrow. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every blink me, I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.